Hey guys, I just wanted to come on here before we start the show today with Dave to promote my newsletter, Red Nation Hoops. It's a freemium newsletter, which means if you subscribe for free, you get two posts a month. But if you pay for a subscription at $6 a month, you get the entire newsletter, which is four articles, one Q&A, plus an additional episode of Red Nation Hoops every month. I talked about it last week, but if you're a fan of the show and you want to support my efforts in keeping it free, the best thing you can do right now is go subscribe at rednationhoops.com. It's the best way to support my coverage of the Rockets. It's the best way to support this podcast. Go do it. RedNationHoops.com. I hope you guys enjoy this. What's up, guys? Welcome to Podcast. My name is Solomon Ali, at Solomon Ali NBA on Twitter. I'm happy to be joined by the very patient Dave Hardesty, founder of ClutchFans.net and pioneer of modern-day Rockets Twitter slash fandom. How you doing, man? <laughs> Good, Solomon. How are you, man? I'm doing all right. Uh, I, I, by the way, I do want to apologize for holding you up. Like We were supposed oh. to be recording half an hour and a half ago, and uh, what's, what's it? No yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for that patience. And it's interesting. We were actually supposed to be recording. Uh, you didn't know this, but I kind of had it in my head that I wanted to record with you on Saturday. So I was going to message you Saturday morning to see if you could, if you would be available today. I didn't. I had no, in- no idea if you would be or not. But like my intention was like, okay, if I could get Dave on Saturday, that'd be great. But I was on vacation, and even though I was on vac- vacation, I had all my equipment with me. I had all. I had internet access. I, I was good to go. I was ready to record, but. Something unpleasant and unplanned happened on vacation. I don't want to get into too into the details, oh, but yikes, yikes is, is a good word. Yikes is a good word, and uh, it caused me to rearrange a lot of stuff. Uh, I didn't even bother asking anybody to come on the show that day, so that's why you, the listener, is getting are you're getting this in your feed a day late. I normally I, this this would be up on Monday, uh, but now it's going to be up on Tuesday. So I apologize for that. And today I came back from vacation, and. Everybody knows that when you come back, that, that coming back from vacation feel, right? Like your like your home has no food, right? Like just just nothing. It, it's just you prepare just enough food to leave, and when you come back, there it's just barren. It's just barren. And I was okay with that. I was willing to adjust on the fly. There was one minor detail, and it wasn't a minor detail for me, but it's it's a pretty significant detail. So I'm a little quirky. And that I like to end my day with like a cup of Greek yogurt, vanilla Greek yogurt. I just love it. Like I, I, I that's how I unwind. Like some people have wines, I have Greek yogurt. Right? It's just my thing. <laughs> right? Like I, I'll legit eat this Greek yogurt for like fifteen minutes. It's very weird. I get asked about it all the time. I, I, I don't know. I can't explain. I just, I, I like, I like Greek yogurt. I like, I like vanilla Greek yogurt. It's good stuff. It, it's, it is good stuff. And it's I, I, every night I have to have it. I can't go to bed without having at least one cup of Greek yogurt. And I had no Greek yogurt. I thought I had it. And then like I, I, I texted you. I was like, you know what? Let, let's do the podcast at seven. And I realized that I neglected to go to the grocery store to pick up some more Greek yogurt when I opened my fridge. And I was just so upset. I was so disappointed. And I was like, this is really going to bother me. Like, this is going to ruin my day. I, I can't have this ruin my day. Uh, the grocery store closes at like nine o'clock. I can't, like, I just, I can't miss it. I'm, 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 I'm going to go get the Greek yogurt. I'm going to see if Dave is willing to be flexible with me on this, which of course you were. And of course, I really appreciate you being flexible with me. I got the Greek yogurt. I'm back here. 
That's the story. That's the, that's it. Yeah. That, that's that's the reason I'm late. I don't have a good reason for being late today, but I, that's and that's my that's reason. A good reason you can't you can't do a podcast without Greek yogurt. I mean, it's just it's mandatory. So I understand. Yeah, I, I just I can't. It's, it's like it's like I can't go to sleep at night until I have that like fifteen to twenty minutes to unwind uh, <laughs> after a long day, just eating my yogurt and watching Netflix or whatever the hell I'm doing or watching basketball. But right. That is not the purpose of this podcast today. The podcast today is not to talk about Greek yogurt. It's not to talk about traveling snafus. It's to talk about the three biggest questions for the Rockets entering the offseason. So I, I thought you'd be a great guest for this. I sent you a list about half an hour ago, 45 minutes ago, to prepare uh, a list. You did prepare a list. You sent it to me. I didn't want to know it, so I didn't read the list. But uh, So... So we're gonna we're just that's that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna we're gonna present our list for our three biggest questions for the Rockets entering the offseason. We're gonna go back and forth with this, have an organic conversation. Um, I I, I couldn't help myself. I, I have like five things, six actually. I'm I'm looking now. I have six things on my list. Three of these will be honorable mentions. Uh, and it, I'm not sure if you had any honorable mentions. If you, you can, if you want, but you don't have to. I I only asked you to prepare three. Uh, we're gonna go in reverse order. So Dave, number three. Uh, in terms of your three biggest questions, what is your least most interesting question on this list in terms of the biggest questions for the Rockets enter the offseason? Mm, man, I, so I wasn't sure if I had them ranked, but you know what? When you mentioned that, I I think right now the the question for me is, are they still willing to focus on 2023 or are they going to take some shortcuts and try to compete this next year? So that would be my question is, Simply, um, are they still going to go with this youth approach, which I love, and I think it's correct for one more season, youth, 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 and then, you know, go all in on trying to compete playoff team and everything in 23-24, or are they going to consider themselves ahead of schedule and, and make a shift or a trade now? So that, that would be the question I think that's on my mind going into this offseason. That's interesting because my number three, actually, it's very similar to this. I had, how does Houston knowing slash confirming that Jalen Green is the talent that he is change their approach at all for the Rockets this summer and more more broadly for the rebuild? And I feel like that dovetails very nicely into your question because I, I think that's kind of what you're alluding to, right? Like you see that you did a pretty good job in last year's draft. Do you want to accelerate the timeline? Do you want to mend the timeline do you want to take a different approach and if i'm houston i don't think it's a bad idea to at least consider the idea that perhaps your top end assets are more ready than you thought they were right i think that i think that's it's important information to take in like jalen green is this good like he he just is he's just this good like his entire season has just been this really crazy roller coaster starting at summer league where like Oh my God, this guy is really polished. He looks way ahead of everybody out there on the floor right now. It looks like that G League experience uh, may have prepared him really well for the NBA. And when he gets again, when he gets on an NBA court, he's gonna look really good. Then he gets on an NBA court, and it looks really rough. And it's yeah. like it's like going down the, the 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 roller coaster, right? You're at the bottom, and it's like, oh my God, this guy just he can't hit a shot. Basically, that's what it was. He was terrible. Uh, he just could not hit any threes, uh, any mid-range jumpers, could not draw a free throw to save his life. And he was already bad at defense. And so like that made things 
uh, exponentially worse. He was just a negative basketball player for the first yeah. 30 games of the season. And then he starts getting better. He starts getting to the free throw line, starts making his free throws. He starts finishing around the basket a little bit more. It's like, okay, this is kind of the, the Jalen Green uh, that we may have expected as a median outcome for the season, right? This is kind of like what I would what I would characterize as like, this is like when you, when you give me a prospect like Jalen green, like the qualities that he's good at and the qualities that he's bad at, like midway through the season, it's like, okay, yeah, this is kind of what I expected for like a, uh, like this kind of a, a prospect, right? This is like a median outcome season. Then he gets better. He starts hitting more threes, starts hitting more threes. He starts having 25 point games, 26 point games, 27 point games, starts getting into the thirties. It's like, Oh my God, this guy is like, this guy is really, course correcting in a major way like in a major way like he's those first 30 games of this season like he's trying to make up for them all in like one week right like he's just he's just exploding and then the last two weeks of the season he just goes nuclear where it's like oh my god who the is this guy like he like this guy is just like way ahead of schedule looks exactly like that polished rookie we were talking about at summer league you're back at the high point of the roller coaster right like he 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 just had a forty two point game, unlike sixty something percent true shooting. Like rookies are not supposed to do that. That is unnaturally good. <laughs> like that 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 is ridiculous. That I, I I need to put that into context. I need to say that again so the listeners can understand. This is unnormal. This is not normal. What right. he's doing, like for a rookie to score this efficiently and have a bad game, right? Like he did the the game before, and just snap back and have a game like this. Like this is your cleanup game, a forty-two point outing to end the season, like a career high that many people in the NBA would would characterize as a as a good career high for them. Like that's ridiculous in your rookie season, in your rookie right. season on efficient shooting. Like he looks like a star. He does. He looks like a star right now. And yeah. And right now, like going into the, going into the off season, like I do not blame the Rockets to at least like take in that data and be like, okay, hold on, maybe we need to like maybe not maybe not change this timeline, but like maybe adjust it a little bit in that perhaps we can in how we approach this free agency, perhaps we are more willing to spend a little bit more, so we can recoup a little bit more in twenty twenty three free agency. Let me explain. Perhaps you're willing to get your team. A little bit better by spending your mid-level exception or spending a little bit more than than you were planning right this summer and reserving max cap space for next summer in the hopes that you make your team look even better because Jalen Green looks that good and then you can recruit a max max for agent next summer does that make sense like make make your make your team more attractive this summer like I think that's something that I, if I were Houston, I'd, I'd give some serious thought to at this point, and I don't think that's a crazy idea. I wouldn't adjust the timeline, but I think this actually helps get back to that timeline of 2023. Yeah, I mean, it's a good; those are all good points. <clears throat> you know, in Jalen's case, you, you know, you definitely mentioned it. Summer league, he looked fantastic, had all the the bumps early on. And, you know, I, I look for every reason to not get, you know, overhyped. I mean, you, you see like Austin Reeves and Malik Monk and Victor Oladipo, <laughs> you know, putting up 30s and 40s at the end. But the thing is, this has been going on for a while. And the, the thing with Jalen Green is this is, you know, this can be duplicated. He has truly elite, uh, you know, explosive first step, his speed, his quickness, his athleticism. I mean, it's it's crazy 
seeing him nearly hit his head on the rim on a reverse alley-oop. I mean, he has those kind of springs, that kind of athleticism. If his shot is, is falling, I mean, he can get this every single time. And that's what I think all of Houston should be thrilled about is, you know, the Rockets have found, um, you know, a star and it, and a 20 year old star and it takes most franchises years, if not decades to get a, a player like this. And they did it in their first year of the rebuild. They have another pick and they've got, as you mentioned, the cap room in 23. So as far as the question I posed, I personally hope that they are more patient and realize, Hey, we've got one more year, probably another lottery pick, not probably not going to be top three or bottom three team in the league. No, but another lottery pick, and then literally you just flip the switch, and everything's going to shift in in that summer. I mean, one year from now, from today, we're going to be you know all geeked out about what this team can do uh, in that off season to to make a shift. And so that's my my feeling is I hope they're a little bit patient, but I do have that question about the Rockets: Are they, you know, with all kinds of factors like ownership and and front office and players, do they? try to add, you know, 28 year old veteran uh, that's going to get you 30 to 35 minutes a game in the starting lineup um, to try to make the playoffs. That That's, that's what would, you know, differentiate between the two approaches. Let me just read what he's averaging since the all-star break Jalen green. That is, uh, and by the way, these are old stats. I haven't updated it. This is before the 42 point outing. He's averaging 22 a game, four rebounds, 3.2 assists per game on like 60% true shooting. Yeah, like that, 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 that's just from three, yeah. that's just stupid. That's just stupid. Like r- rookies should not be doing that. Like for forty games, like that's that's what the stretch is. Like it's like thirty five games, thirty eight games. Like it's that's that's dumb. That 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 is just dumb. That's not that's not what you're supposed to expect. You compare Jalen Green to his peers. He's actually scoring like in terms. And when I say peers, I'm talking about like prospects of his ilk, right? Like the the, the shooting guard comparisons that he got going into the draft. The shooting guard comparisons that you would naturally think of, right? Like your Zach Levines, your Devin Booker's, your Bradley Beals. Like he is scoring more points than all those guys on better efficiency. And like you're talking about a guy. Who was like severely below average uh, efficiency wise beginning at the beginning of the season? Like he was like low fifties in true shooting. Now he's at like league average, mid fifties, which means he was significantly above league average for a large stretch of time, right? Like he's he entering next season, the baseline for him is going to be league average true shooting. Like that that that's the baseline. He's he's already at league average three point shooting. He's averaging thirty four percent. He's thirty four percent from three for the season, for the season, which is which means he's been hitting his threes at a ridiculous clip for the last half of the season because he was in the low twenties for the first half of the season. The low twenties, he was like twenty nine percent from three. Now he's now he's mid thirties, and like so, so you're talking about a guy who's shooting a ridiculous volume of three pointers, getting to the basket at a really high clip converting at a pretty decent clip like his his conversion rate so like this is where he was so let me get the stats up this is where he was before february converting in the restricted area he was 56 percent. that's a good clip it's not great it's good this is where he is after february 66 percent. like he went up 10 percentage points in the paint (laughs) Yeah, he's. I mean, it's a lot of growth, and it was a lot of it was the work he put in. To be honest, because I think he was, you know, 
he he realized he was struggling and he just kept working at it. I mean, that work ethic that that they described before the draft, I mean, it really I thought shone through and it and it was evident and he made progress and got as he said in his words more comfortable in the NBA. He he felt like he belonged or he knew what he was doing, you know? And I guess it's kind of the phrase that they they say that the game slows down for him for a rookie. That's kind of what happened to him. Yeah, it's funny. A similar thing happened for him in the G League last year. Like he had a slow start last year in the G League too. Like that game was a little too fast for him. And then he course corrected like crazy and again for the G League. Like he had a similarly hot not not like this, obviously not like this. It's hard to really compare what he's doing right what he did to the end of the season because uh, season is over now what he did to end the season to what he did to end the G League season but he had a hot stretch to end that season too and he talked about this in Galveston right he talked about how uh, at training camp how the game was too fast for him right and how he was still everything was just coming at him way too quickly compared to what he was compared what he was used to with the Vipers well not with the Vipers with the Ignite excuse me right and right. you saw it in little things, right? Like, like he would come off a screen, and the NBA defenses are so smart. They're so smart. They're so advanced in 2022, right? So he would, he would come off a screen, get to the basket, you know, want to get to the basket, and there would be a big there to close off the basket. And he'd kind of freeze up, and he'd kind of throw the ball behind him, maybe turn the ball over, maybe find a teammate for an errant pass, right? And it was it was just a dead possession. Like, he he made a seam in the defense, and he didn't do anything with it, right? Now he makes that seam in the defense, and he goes back to what he was doing in the G League, which is mid-range jump shooting. So if you guys uh, did, didn't get a chance to watch him in the G League, he loved to shoot mid-range jumpers in the G League. He just lo- he loved doing. He was shooting like two and a half per game, and to start the season, he was taking like one a game, like one mid-range jumper a game, if that. It seems like he was tentative coming off that screen to take that mid-range jumper in that in-between area because the game was coming too fast for him. And now he's that's exploded. That number has just gone up and gone up, gone up. He's back to kind of where he was shooting those mid-range jumpers in the in the G League. And like you look at his percentage, he's like twenty percent better from mid-range as well. Top to bottom, his game is he's turning the ball over less. Uh, he's making less, you know, erratic passes. Uh, it, it's he just looks so comfortable. He just looks very comfortable in his own skin. Um, and, and, and I think it's going to be even better when they when they add players that complement him better. I mean, you, you, if you add a three and D wing who you know knows what he's doing, and and that's no slight on Jay Sean Tate, but he struggles from three point range. I mean, it, they space the floor out better. He's going to be even more effective with more space to operate in. And you know, I mean, at the same time, they have these you know all these other means to acquire players. Uh, I mean, the future is just really bright. Is the best way I could put it. Is I, I feel like this was his first year. It was like, as Steven Silas said, pretty base or pretty basic uh, sets they were running. It's going to get more advanced and he's just going to get better. And they're going to have, they're going to add more talent around him. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, it's quite possible. You might see him before too long, averaging 25 plus ranging up to 30 points a game. He's, he's got that kind of explosive scoring ability. So I'm glad you mentioned the assets that they have moving forward. And kind of their flexibility in terms of trying to build around this young core and in the rebuilding process because Rafael Stone did talk today at uh, the exit interviews right about how the the future of the team more broadly uh, how this season kind of coalesced and he talked about how the Rockets can put together compelling trade offers this offseason 
uh, based on like their de- the depth of their assets, right? Like, you're talking about the Brooklyn picks, obviously. He's alluding to that. He's talking about their own first-round picks, which are going to be very good, including this season. Um, he's talking about the rookies that he's already drafted, right? Like you're talking your Josh Christophers, your Shangoons, your Garubas, your um, every rookie that they drafted or a young player that they've, they've acquired that's looked good is considered an asset for them, right? And I, I guess my question is like, okay, so what kind of compelling trade offers is he talking about, right? And I guess that might be kind of what you were alluding to with your question, right? He's like, is he talking about acceler- accelerating this timetable to like, you know, trying to compete like next year? Or is he just talking about maybe trying to get better for next year, right? Like maybe getting slightly better, not, 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 not going too deep into the well, but, you know, willing to go into the well for someone youngish that will compliment him. Because that, I think, is more justifiable than perhaps trading for, like, I don't know, uh, 32-year-old CJ McCollum, which uh, the the Pelicans did, right, around Zion Williamson, which I think is a rebuilding mistake. Your classic going too fast, right? Exactly. And, yeah. and, and that's, that's exactly what I'm concerned about because they could honestly blow this whole thing or it could delay, uh, you know, success around Jalen Green for years if they act prematurely here and cj mccollum i hadn't thought of that example that's a very good one i mean we'll see how it works out for the pelicans but don't jump in and and use your assets to get somebody who's just going to get you to the end goal of the playoffs you know the, the the rockets in my opinion have this have one more year to acquire via the draft high level talent to continue to to go towards a path of max cap room um, so as, you know, Rafael Stone makes that comment and says, you know, we have compelling, uh, you know, trade assets and we could maybe make an, uh, good trade offers. That's a question I have is what does he have in mind? Because if he's thinking about an Aaron Gordon or, a, you know, a, 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 you know, as you mentioned, McCollum type of player, I think that's a mistake. But if he's looking at trading up in the draft or looking for young prospects, um, via trade, then, I mean, yeah, uh, I think he's just going to be even better for them because he is, he does collect these assets to be able to make that type of trade eventually. But once you make it, you're not going to be getting the, you know, any more significant draft assets. You're going to be now middle of the road and, and you got, you only have this window to do it. And with them owing the pick to OKC in 24, um, you know, they, they really should be looking to flip that switch the summer of 23. I forgot to add this in. I would also add in like the contracts of Eric Gordon and Christian Wood, because those are good contracts, right? Those are good salary matching pieces. And if he's willing to throw those contracts in, uh, as you said, I'm interested to see, is he talking about trading for a veteran star-like talent or like a youngish player that fits in more with Green's timeline or someone that hasn't played an NBA game yet. Um, you know, like Shangun type trade. Like that's that's a perfect kind of compelling offer that this team should be making. More swings like that. Trade right. picks that, you know, maybe they're, they're, they may be far away, but you're trading for a high-end prospect and that's worth it. Correct. I mean, I, I think you could look at, you know, the past two drafts. I mean, it's and guys who maybe are on teams, haven't carved out roles. Uh, you know, James Booknight with the Hornets, just as an example. And again, I'm not I'm not advocating for him. Jalen Suggs with Orlando. It's very early with Suggs, but at the same time, you know, if Orlando wants to make a shift and let's see where they end up in the in after the draft lottery, 
those type of acquisitions, in my opinion, make sense. You know, they're they're very young players. Um, you might be able to get them slightly cheaper than they're actually worth or how you value them. Um, that those type of acquisitions, I'm all for, and I, I would love to see the Rockets be aggressive in those kind of moves. And likewise, I think even more importantly, it's just the the moving up in the draft, as you mentioned, go f- to be able to maybe package that Brooklyn pick, Wood and um, you know Gordon and even Tate, which I doubt they would move Tate, but I, I personally would uh, to move up is is uh, in my opinion a really wise move as well. And I think that really like kind of leads to my second question, which is you know. I've I've been very happy with Rafael Stone, so this is not criticism. I mean, there's been a few things I haven't been happy with, but but my question is, is he willing to trade players that want to be here? Because up to this point, we've only seen him trade players that don't want to be here or no longer have a role here. I believe he's going to trade Christian Wood. I think it makes sense to trade Eric Gordon, but it made incredible sense to trade Eric Gordon at the past deadline, and they didn't do it. So they have roster uh, issues and all that. So it's kind of like a test right now, in my opinion, uh, going into this offseason for Rafael Stone, because we haven't seen him make those really tough choices with guys that he brought in here or he considers uh, part of the family, if you will. Yeah. And, and like I've, I've talked about this in, on past podcasts, uh, the way they kind of talk about trying to keep players happy or right or, or relationship building right like the way this front office talks about it makes me a little bit uncomfortable right like they, they talk <laughs> about too. they talk about like trying to do right by players right sending them where they want to go or uh you know maybe not sending them where they want to go or like sending them to a, a better more de- desirable attraction right versus perhaps getting a, a slightly better asset but you know sending them to a, a way station right or keeping players around because you think they're culturally better for you. I don't know if like veteran talent, keeping veteran talent around is the way to go, but especially veteran talent that can recoup assets for you, right? Like the Eric Gordon non-transaction at the deadline was a huge question mark for me, especially when you came on my show and told me that you, that they uh, had first round picks on the table, right? Like that, that, that to me is like, egregious if they actually turn that down but and this is part of my uh coincidentally part of my honorable honorable mentions uh i had will houston still be able to recoup a first round pick for eric gordon and if so how so their one saving grace is that they haven't traded eric gordon for nothing right yet right like they, they, they he's still there and he can still theoretically be traded for something and that something could still be a first round pick and i guess my question is if you weren't willing to trade him for a first round pick before, what changes to make you do it now? Yeah, that's a good question. The logical answer here, right, is like the draft. Right? The draft comes around, more teams are willing to make trades, more teams are willing to explore bigger trades, right? And bigger trades may involve bigger contracts. Eric Gordon is certainly a significant contract, right? Perhaps you want to couple Eric Gordon with another player, like perhaps Christian Wood. And explore a, a, a much bigger trade package than perhaps we're even thinking about, right? Perhaps they want to, uh, if they're really gung-ho about that Lakers 2020, what was it, 2027 first-round yeah, yeah. pick, perhaps they combine Christian Wood and Eric Gordon to get that pick. Because I think that is the type of premium asset that is worth you know, skipping out on late first for. 
I think if that's yeah. your logic, like, oh, like, we don't want a late first-round pick for Eric Gordon. First of all, I thought that was laughable logic. But if the logic is we don't want a first-round pick, for, late first-round pick for Eric Gordon because we think we can do better, if that's your logic, I agree with that. Like, if you if you can find that, if you feel like that is, that is available for you, I think that's worth exploring. I think their philosophy is they put themselves in the, in the shoes of the other team. And they say, could I get Eric Gordon for this middling late teens, uh, mid twenties ish first round pick if I was on the other, you know, other side and they felt like that would be too good of a deal for them. I think that was part of the, the equation, but the other part of it is, you know, do things change after the 22 draft? Because the Rockets, it is true that they would much rather have a 23 or preferably 24 or later first round pick, not because they want to use it then, but because they want to have those picks available to trade when it comes time. And if you use that pick, let's just say you, in in this draft, you draft another Josh Christopher, who's very, this is no slight on Christopher, very solid player. Good. Um, You know, you, you can, determine how what you think his upside is but if you draft him i love josh you, i'm sorry i i i don't want to cut you off i i love this dude yeah i love watching him play yeah, basketball he, he's great and don't get me wrong i i'm i'm high on him too but my point is you know now you've limited what your trade market is sure if josh christopher turns out to be great then you, you it's worth more than that that first round pick but you know a, a first round pick when you're getting into that time for a trade could be anything to a team so that's they, that's why they want a future pick so that they can have more picks to, you know, sort of consolidate or put together in a package trade. Um, so, yeah, I, it's a big question of mine going in is what can they get for Eric Gordon? Because, yes, they did turn down multiple offers that had late 22 first round picks and, you know, they could have gotten a deal done there. So I think we're going to judge what they ultimately do, um, you know, based on the opportunity costs there. And I think the question is like, are they still, you know, willing to, are they going to trade Christian Wood and Eric Gordon? I mean, I thought it was a tell that they benched those guys and Schroeder when it came time to go with the youth, you know, youth movement, youth development, whatever you want to call it, or just flat out tanking uh, down, down the stretch. But, um, you know, that's a very big question that we have. I think there's going to be interest in Christian Wood. I thought it was a great sign that he had that huge game late. Um, but you know, what's the price tag that they have on them and are they willing to, to make that move? I, I just think it's time to cut bait with Christian Wood. Um, I think it's time to cut, cut with, uh, Eric Gordon and through no fault of Gordon's, I just think it makes more sense for him to be somewhere that he can contend and more sense for the Rockets to have, you know, move forward with a youth movement and a rebuild. So it, it, let's hope that this off season, they actually pull the trigger. And that, that's just, I think in general, the big question I have with Rafael Stone and and just ownership in general, the Rockets movement is, you know, it's great that they're shedding the the label of sort of assets focused and players are family and players are important. I I actually embrace all that. And I I'm glad they do that stuff, but hard business decisions also have to be made. I think they will make them. We just haven't seen them yet. And so that's, that's why I uh, have that question. I think going into the off season, eventually you're going to get to a point if you've done your job, right. Where you're gonna trade, you're gonna trade a player that really wants to be in Houston, yeah. uh, that you've developed a, a personal relationship with, for a player that you absolutely cannot pass up on, right? If you do your job right, every general manager gets to that position at some point, and you just have to pull the trigger. You just do because it's best for your team. 
It's what's best for your team. Yeah. And if your if your position is we're never gonna get to that point because we're always gonna hold on to players that want to be here, I just you know I, I, I we'll see if that's what they're doing. It, but like that's just the vocabulary that seems to be coming out of there, and I don't like it. You know, I I think you should. I think as a general manager, it's okay to be cold and calculating. That's my preference in general managers. Yeah, yeah I mean that's that's why they're paid the big bucks. They have to make the hard business decisions. I mean, and, and they have to communicate that stuff to to players and it's tough, but you know, and again, I'm not saying Rafael Stone isn't willing to do that. I mean, I'm sure he is. He's, he's good at what he does, but like I said, we haven't seen it. And so there is that question mark and I'm, I'm hoping that they don't just feel like, you know, with a few tweaks here and there, we'll just, you know, grow the players we have. I, I it's, it's going to be more than that. And they've got to be, in my opinion, willing to, to cut bait with some guys. My number two for me and the biggest <laughs> questions for the Rockets entering the off season. Do the Rockets extend Kevin Porter Jr.? So this is interesting because the conversation around this has heated up over the past, I would say, three weeks, three weeks, two, three weeks around there. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr. is playing better. He's playing a lot better. Uh, he's played a lot better. Excuse me. I, I, I have to get used to the past tense. The season is over. He has played a lot better towards the end of the season. And it sparked this debate. Whether or not Houston should be should extend him going into, you know, his second to last year on the contract on the rookie deal, and he, here's my thing: this is my personal judgment. Before we talk about what we think the Rockets are going to do, this is what rookie extensions are for. Therefore, locking up a player that you believe is a no-brainer, home run, going to be All NBA, going to be an All Star, going to be that kind of cornerstone type pillar type talent. Kevin Porter Jr. I don't know if, if I'm sure he's going to be that for Houston. Like, I, I, I just, I don't see, like, there are moments I see that, right? Like, like there, there are games, there are stretches. I, don't, I haven't seen that for a, for a full season from Kevin Porter Jr., which is why I'm skeptical, right? I just, the, the inconsistency, the, the defense still isn't great. It's gotten better. It's still not great. I, I get why he's such a tantalizing talent, right? The difficult shot making, the size, the craft off the dribble, all that are, you know, it's an attractive package. But put it all together and you still have what looks like an inconsistent basketball player right now that has moments where he looks brilliant, where he looks brilliant, right? I think those kinds of players are worth just waiting and biting the bullet and seeing what they get in restricted free agency. That's what restricted free agency is for. So you can maintain the player based off what his market value is. Let the market dictate what you're going to pay, what you're going to pay the player. And if you don't have to pay him, if you don't have to pay Christian Wood, right? Then why do it? Like it's not like you're you you're sacrificing the ability to retain him long term because you're not. You can still retain him long term, as I said, through restricted free agency, and you don't have to sacrifice flexibility. You don't have to give him a bad contract. You don't have to in 2023 give up the possibility of spending all this money and then possibly re-signing him through bird rights, right? And like I just I don't see the rush in extending him unless you get like a great great contract offer. Like unless you can get him for like what's his capital? What's Kevin Porter Jr.'s capital right now? Nine and a half million. Okay, so if they got if they resigned him to a contract that's like three years, twenty seven million dollars, like that's a decent contract. That's that's worth doing it. If you can resign him for his cap hold right now, long term, and you can kind of guarantee that you have this cheap contract on your books 
that's a, it's about the mid-level exception, basically. That's worth it. If you can keep Ke- Kevin Porter Jr. for three years, three, four years, whatever, for the mid-level exception, that's a, that's a good contract to pursue. If he turns that down, or if he demands any more than that, I think I'd probably say no. And I, I, I think I'd, you know, I, I can say no comfortably. I'm not going to lose any sleep over the prospect of Kevin Porter Jr. entering restricted free agency. Yeah, you know, and I think I hope people realize too. I mean, I'm I'm with you on this, and I I personally believe that KPJ would not accept that. But in my opinion, I wouldn't go above it, and I honestly would be nervous even putting that on there because I got to tell you, if he has any other issues similar to bailing at halftime or anything along those lines, you're not going to be able to move that contract. It is going to be nothing more than a placeholder contract that you're going to have to pay to get rid of, or you're going to you know, have to take back a worse contract. And it doesn't seem like much. And I, and I, I get it. It's not an NBA standards and 9 million a year, but if it happened in year one and you, you, for whatever reason had to get off of it, it would be a problem. But I just want, I hope people realize that, you know, KPJ's talent has never been in question. It wasn't at you in high school at USC. I mean, he was considered a lottery talent. He went 30th in the draft for other reasons. And he's had, he had issues in Cleveland. He's been great here. And I don't want to completely, um, you know, knock him. He's had a couple of, you know, really just one, you know, significant issue, um, a few things on the court, but nothing major. Um, right. He, he had just, that weird incident where, like, he basically stopped trying and yeah. uh, had to exit the court, basically, uh, and then and then pushed his way back into the game, kind of thing. Right. Yeah. It was and, very strange. And it's just, yeah, those kind of things. Where I just have a little bit of concern that he's been relied on so much and when you've got a special talent like Jalen Green um you know again I'm just cautious I'm not saying it is this way but it's I'm very wary or leery of putting that you know sort of future in the hands of KPJ's contract not KPJ in in the hands of his contract so if it's a if it's a reasonable deal or even if it's more money than that, but it's it's non guaranteed after X, you know, one or two years, then then that's different, you know. Then then I'm fine looking into an extension. But in my opinion, I mean, if and I say this sincerely, if this was Daryl Morey running the Rockets, it would not even be a question. They would either get him at a bargain or they would let it go to restricted free agency. And not only that, they would insist that he goes out and gets an offer that they can match which doesn't always uh, create the best of feelings between player and management. And I know the Rockets won't take that approach with him, but I am nervous, uh, just a little bit nervous that they are going to uh, potentially overpay him. And if there's any issues, it's an, it could become an unmovable contract. So again, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I, if I, if it was me at the helm, I would, I would honestly let this go to restricted free agency. I'm glad you mentioned the non-guarantees in there because th- that is another way to get around perhaps paying him more than you're comfortable with, right? Like like making the con- getting creative with the contract, right? Like if you add in um, non-guarantee years at the end or if you add in incentive structures, right, that he has to meet mm-hmm. within the contract. They've done this in the past, which is why I think it'd be you know, just fortuitous if they did it again with, with Kim Bird Jr. Like if they add in like, okay, you have to hit this benchmark in free throw percentage or you have to hit this benchmark in in games played or you cannot do X, Y, or Z behaviorally in the locker room, right? Like if they add in stuff to protect themselves against paying him too much, I think I wouldn't be as opposed to giving him more money 
than what I just threw out there than what I am right now. If they if they added those protections in, or if they added non guarantee years, that's the way you get around it. I have no idea what the hell this organization is going to do with Kevin Porter Jr. I literally, if you were to ask me the odds on whether or not they extend Kevin Porter Jr., I'd say fifty fifty. I'm not sure. This is going to color in a little bit more about what I think about Rafael Stone as a general manager, right? Like kind of decisions like this. Yeah, and I think if if you're looking at it and you are extending it again, my feelings are. On that, I would not do it. But if you did, you have to look at it like, okay, what is a is a decent rate for a very good sixth man? He may he may prove to be the long term starting point guard, and then in that case, it could be a bargain. But you, you got to pay him, in my opinion, at this point in time, at best uh, as a sixth man. I, so I guess my whole thing is there's just really no reason to. It's not just no. the commitment that you're making. You have to get more data on him as a leader. Next year, they're going to take another step forward, and he's going to be, you know, his test is going to be increased. You're going to have a hopefully a guy like Jabari or or Paolo or Chet or something, you know, hopefully a, a significant prospect on the team another additional draft pick, maybe other additions. How does he fit? I just, I just think it's wise in my opinion to let this go to restricted free agency. It's just not, it's just not the right time, both for the commitment financially, given what they have planned for 23. And also just the fact that you need more data on him as the point guard. The reason I had this on my list is like, like I, I've been fascinated by Karen Borey Jr. He was my most compelling storyline going into the season, right? Like I, I just thought, you know, obviously, the contract extension talks were part of it. The the talent, you know, what he is in the NBA, you know, is, is intriguing to was intriguing to me. I'm still intrigued a little bit. I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say I'm not intrigued anymore, right? But I that was a part of the reason I thought it was an interesting storyline. Um, this was his third year in the NBA. Traditionally, third years are kind of like the breakout year for a lot a lot of players in the NBA. I will say this in his defense, two things. One, this was the most games he's ever played in a season, and it was like 60. Like, it was like 60 games. That kind of tells you he hasn't had much stability in his NBA career. Among, among those 60 games this year, he's dealt with a crap ton of injuries. More specifically, that thigh bruise. That's bothered him all year. And we've all just forgotten about it since he's played through it, basically, uh, to end the season. But, like, he, he hasn't been healthy this year, right? And perhaps that was holding him back from being what he was at the end of the season, right? If, if, if there, if what he was at the end of the season was, was what he was all year. Yeah. Th- no question. Extend him, right? Like th- that's the kind of player you want to keep in a house. That's not what you got this year though. You got that for 10 to 15 games, right? And that's kind of where I stand with him. He's, I, you just don't see it night to night. There's so many flaws within the game. I'm not 100% sold on him as a point guard, I'm not 100% sold on him as a starter. As you, as you, I kind of see him more as that off the bench guy. I, I do see a ceiling for him as a starter in the NBA. Like I'm not willing to dismiss that. But as far as like the most likely outcome, the most likely outcome for Kevin Porter Jr. in my opinion is someone that is a very good bench player. That is the most likely outcome for Kevin Porter Jr. If if I'm just evaluating everything, all the data we have right now. And that's a good player in the NBA. It's a, it's a player you got for absolutely nothing, right? Always got to remind yourself, Houston traded no assets for this guy. So if if that's 
if that's the player you got and you're willing to let that go to restricted free agency or you're willing to pay a cheap contract for him, fair enough. But if you're willing to give him long-term big money that's not protected, I I question that. I question yep. that. That's when it all changes. I mean, you got him for free. It's a bargain. He's on a rookie contract, the cheapest rookie contract, you know, as far as the first round pick out there because he was the 30th pick. And and it's a bargain. And yeah, he had a very good season. I'm not taking anything away from KPJ, the talent. I mean, there there are question marks as far as a point guard. I think uh, for sure his decision-making at times is a little suspect. I think he needs to be more assertive. I mean, when you are talking about the point guard, he needs to be, you know, orchestrating the show and running the show. I'm, you know, the, the joke that goes around on, on, you know, the, the clutch fans forums and Twitter and all that stuff is, Oh, well, he's not John Stockton. So, you know, you know, he's not a point guard. That's not what I think we're looking for, but just, we need something that's a little bit more go, you know, assertive, a little bit more downhill. Um, he's just kind of maybe has, I don't want to say the word slow, but a little bit of a herky jerky, um, kind of decision-making on whether to drive or kick, but you know what, a, a really good season on, on the overall, uh, there's no, wait, 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 wait. let me ask you, do you, do you believe, you think he had a great, a very good season? I, I did. I think he had a very good season. I mean, I, okay. I wouldn't say as like this point guard, like this is a, a brilliant season. I just thought he, overall he was good. I mean, it, his three point shooting drastically improved. Uh, and, and, you know, early on it was, he was struggling the first 15, 20 games, whatever it was, and he came on pretty strong. Um, he, you know, had intermittent uh, injury issues. There were games that you were very frustrated with him, but I think for the most part, he was good. And when they got rid of wood and, and, and turned, you know, basically everything over to Jalen green and KPJ, I mean, those guys thrive. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I just think I want another season to watch him because of the fact that you're going to now add at least we believe one significant piece of, you know, to your core, you're adding a guy that you believe is going to be part of your team for the long haul. So let's see how he fits with them. Then make a decision. I I just don't, I know people are saying, Hey, we could get a bargain here. This is the time to negotiate. This is the time to, to get him, you know, committed to a deal. I wouldn't do that because I don't feel like this, you know, he's going to go out, hit the open market, get 20, 30 million a year from, I know there's going to be a lot more teams with cap space in 23, but that's a huge commitment for any franchise to a player with, you know, uh, some issues. And so, you know, and not only that, he's, he's a ball dominant player. And, you know, that that's something that, you know, you're, you're basically giving the keys to the car to that player. So he better be really good if they're committing that kind of dollars and, you know the Rockets will have the option to match if if they if they want to go that route. So to me, it just makes too much sense to wait. Yeah, I I, I agree with you on the too much sense to wait part. I'm not sure if I agree with you on the on the very good season part. Like like okay, so here's just just the way I'm looking at it. Um, I look at Kevin Porter Jr. this year, and I don't see much growth from last year other than three point shooting. Let me go through it real quick. So he, last year he averaged about 16 points per game, right? This year, about 16 points per game. Uh, last year, you know, about 6.2 assists per game. This year, about 6.2 assists per game. Last year, about four rebounds per game. This year, about four rebounds per game. Uh, actually got regressed a little bit as a free throw shooter. Uh, regressed a little bit as a finisher at the basket. You know, got better as a three-point shooter. That That's big. I'm, I'm not going to deny him that. That is a big improvement. True shooting percentage-wise, you know, 53% last year. 
53% this year. I but mean, would you say he had a good year last year? He had an intriguing year last year. I would say that. Like he 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 caught my attention last year. Like the the his so you're close, saying you just wanted to see more progress. Yeah, I mean he piqued my attention last year, and I yeah you're right. I I wanted to see more progress this year, and I did. I'm not sure if I got that. And I I, I understand the, you know I caveated it right. Like obviously he was he he was not healthy all of this year. He is still young. He is had a very nice close to the season. I understand all that. You know, on the whole, on the macro, this is just what I, just what I think. You know, you can disagree if you want, but that's kind of why. Where no, I stand. you know, it's it's interesting. I think, you know, things can cloud our judgment. And I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me and 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 others a, a little bit with KPJ because you know we watch this team and he is a ball dominant player. He's 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 being run as a primary initiator of the offense. I don't know if he's necessarily that, but I think he's more of a secondary guy. But he's you know that's that's what's happening in this offense. And, you know, I think a lot of us are looking at the shiny new toy and Jalen Green has just got all this explosive ability. And we're kind of looking at KPJ as sort of a, you know, I, I don't know, like a poor man's Jalen Green a little bit, but with a little bit more playmaking ability. And so I think there's frustration. It's like, why is KPJ taking all these shots? Why is KPJ ball dominant when, when we want that to go more to Jalen Green? I'm not saying it's fair, but I just think that some of that that happens. I think the Rockets have two dynamic guards. I think the future's uh, brighter for Jalen Green, but it, you know, KPJ's got legit size. He has defensive potential. He's definitely had moments where I'm like, man, that's, that was some terrible defense. Um, you know, I, I'm intrigued by him. I'm not in any way saying, okay, we're done with this experiment. I just think you've got to give it more time and to commit to him with some of those issues. Man, I, I, like I said, it just it, it gives it makes me nervous because the Rockets really do have something special here, and they've got a blueprint. And if you commit um, to something like that and it doesn't work out, that that really uh, that handicaps you quite a bit. You say they've got a blueprint. He's got a blueprint apparently as well. <laughs> he got a he he was at uh, the exit interview today. He had a a, a, a packet of paper in his hand <laughs> that the Rockets gave him. Uh, you know things to get better at uh, this summer. Uh, sure. So, so listen, we'll see. Like, like again, I understand he hasn't had much stability. This was his first year with stability. This was his first year really understanding his role on an NBA team, and we'll see what he does next year. Like, I, I guess, I guess I'm not like I'm not dismissing the talent. I, as I said, I think he'll be a very good player in the NBA. I think he'll be a playoff rotation player. Maybe not a starter, but I think he'll be a playoff rotation player. And you know, if you're expecting more than that, I think you're maybe expecting too much. But uh it's reasonable to say that he has a, a starting caliber season ceiling, but I, 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 we're getting too much into this. Like I, I just, you know, I spent too much time on this than I did. I did. I, I'm just, I'm more interested to see what they, what the Rockets specifically do with this dude in the summer, because I'm with you. I have no idea. I just have no idea where they lean. And it seems like, uh, they're, they operate differently than the prior regime in terms of like, they see something, they want to invest time into it. They want to invest human capital into it, and they just, you know, they, they're when they when they when they're committed to something, they're committed to something, which you can appreciate on some level, and on on the other level, it's like when it's time to cut bait, or when it's when something has become obvious. Sometimes it's time to cut bait, or something has become obvious, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, and I think that, that that's the way I feel about Christian Wood, and 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 so you know, I understand why they 
are being patient. They 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 feel there's a special offensive talent there, and if if the rest of the game comes around, but I think at this point you've got too good of a thing with Jalen Green, and and you've got to now start to find young players that could fit. Uh, you know, and that's the what the thing with this team. I look at one player as the core, Jalen Green. That's it. I mean, I know Shingun and KPJ are you know closer or to to being part of that established core and Christopher. But I feel like the Rockets have to keep all options open and that this is the one guy they have to build around or build with. Um, and so that's how I look at the draft and everything. Shingun and KPJ are great, and hopefully they prove themselves to to be part of that. But um, I mean, I would if I think they have a special opportunity when you have a 20 year old guy who's that good to build something great. So all options should be on the table. No, he's definitely like he is definitely going to be one of the guys on this team, Jalen Green. Like you, you can confirm that now. Like he is a, a foundational talent for this team. What's interesting is you know towards the end of the season, I never felt this way about Jalen Green before. Never, you know, I never thought he had this kind of ceiling. I never thought he had, uh, you know, I just thought the holes in his game might hold him back. You know, the the, the lack of playmaking, the you know the defensive capability. You know, I was evaluating him as a prospect, right? I always thought he was more of a secondary slash tertiary star on a championship team. I've start, I've opened up to the idea of potentially not just being one of the guys, but potentially the guy. Like that's how good. Like that. That's how impressed I've been. Uh, yeah, and and I, you know, I'm, I I feel the same way. And I, you know, I was a guy who thought they should have taken Mobley. And same. I'll say I, I I thought it was close, but I I liked Mobley better. And I got to tell you, I looked at Green as like, okay, well, he's not going to give you much defense. He's not much of a playmaker, but he could be a special scorer. And people talked about the intangibles and the it factor. And I'm like, okay, if if you've got a special guy along the, the lines of a, a Jordan or Kobe. And I know that's, you know, hyperbole or ex- exaggeration here, but you know, something along those lines, then it, it makes sense. But, you know, first 20, 30 games we're watching this and I'm just like, man, he's, you know, terrible defensively. He's, he's got all this elite athleticism and speed and it's all there on display. But I thought his decision-making, his ability to finish around the basket, um, his shooting was off. I mean, th- I was, I have to admit, I had I had uh, a stretch there where I was a little bit nervous. Like, man, this this doesn't look like the the right move. But and on the other it, side of the conference, like Mobley and Barnes were just tearing it up. They they yeah. looked fantastic. Well, and, and now in looking at those picks, I mean, those are safe. I mean, I don't want to say safe, but like they were. You knew that floor was going to be really good with those guys because they had the defense. I mean, there was, I think, there was just more risk um, with Green personally. Like, in other words, you. you you really needed that that high ceiling to hit where it wasn't going to be, you know, you were the opportunity cost would have been pretty great. So um, it's worked out. It's worked out fantastically. I mean, the top four teams right now are thrilled. Really, the top nine are happy with who they got. I think maybe maybe Orlando's not too thrilled right now, but still, it's been a great draft. And uh, overall, Rafael Stone you know, nailed it with with most of his picks. So it's, it's, it's been good for the Rockets. Well, I got to tell you, every time you allude to Jalen Suggs, I, I twitch a little bit. I twitch because I, 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 I look really wrong on that. Like I had him as my, I think my third or fourth best player in the draft. I had him actually had him above Jalen Green, and I, I, I look super wrong on that. Like it, he's, he's been hurt. He's, you know, he's been hurt this year. Yeah, he's a good prospect. He hasn't, he hasn't shown it yet. I haven't watched him much this year, but I don't. I, you know, I'm not worried about about him just yet. And they've got a lot of point guards there too different yeah uh, you know i it, it's 
you know, you look at Kyle Lowry when he was with Memphis and he was buried underneath there and really wasn't playing at all. That's how Daryl scooped him up on the cheap and look where he is today. And so, you know, it, we'll see. I mean, he could, it could end up being a bust, but I think he's, I think he's a good talent. I, if, if the Rockets could get him cheap somehow, I'd be interested. Oh, 100%. I, I haven't given up on him. I, I just, I just, I just look wrong right now. Or right? as what I'm saying is like, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't look great on that area. Um, was he your number three or what was it? I, I think I, I think I had it Mobley. Um, no, no, I had it Cade, Mobley, and then I had Suggs, and then I had Green, and gotcha, then gotcha. yeah, and then as the year progressed, I'm like, oh my god, I'm I'm, I'm just, I just look really stupid right now. Um, but you know, I, I'm holding out hope. And I haven't given hey. I haven't given up on him yet. Yeah, exactly. He he said himself just before the draft that whoever passes on him is going to regret it. So uh, he hasn't had exactly the year to be able to say that just yet. No, he no, he hasn't. Um, but I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because the, the thing with Mobley is like, I said this all year. I am not going to do a victory lap on Evan Mobley until like two or three years. Like I, I did that is way, it's way too early. Like people, people at the beginning of the season, even if you're in the Mobley camp, like shame on you for doing a victory lap. How many times have we seen this in NBA history where like one of the rookies starts off really strong and the other rookie comes along later and you spent that first half on this guy. Meanwhile, you didn't give him any time to develop, right? How many times have we seen that? Luka Doncic and Trey Young, prime example, just recently. Anthony Edwards and uh, Lamelo Ball, right? Like this happens all the time. Not even that far away. Just these last couple of drafts, these people. If you were in the Mobley camp and you were doing victory laps, shame on you. Shame on you. Like, like I was in the Mobley camp. I was not doing victory laps because I've seen this too many times. Like, you can't be doing that. And, and, and rookie of the year is good and all, but I mean, Michael Carter-Williams won rookie of the year. And okay. I, I, see, I'm, not, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. The Michael <laughs> Carter-Williams, I, 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 I'm still in on Mobley, man. I, I love Mobley a lot. And I, I, I still think the debate's up in the air. Oh, I will say, I will say though, th- this is the thing. I mean, you, it could be a big debate, but I mean, they're, they're both really good players. I, I know right. a lot of people are like, "Hey, Mobley's too, like they kind of have to prop Green up to you know by yeah. tearing down Mobley and vice versa." I, and I it's hate like, that. Yeah. yeah, they're both great players. And so I see it's not like if the Rockets had taken Mobley, they would have done wrong. But at the same time, he does. You know, if both hit, I think Green will end up being the better pick. And again, I say that as somebody who uh, gave the edge to Mobley. But uh, you know, we'll see. I think Mobley's going to be terrific. Um, and I, right now I'm very, very high on Jalen green too. So I, you know, I don't feel like, um, if one succeeds, the other was a failure. So I, I, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. 100%. And like, like, this is where like, I just got really annoyed with like, with both camps, like the first, the Mobley people for taking victory laps, uh, at the beginning of the season and before the season, like if, if you couldn't, if you were in the green camp and you could not construct an argument, uh, as to why he is a better prospect than Mobley without mentioning position. If you couldn't do that, then you did not have a strong argument, right? If that was if that was the foundation for your argument was position, then you just did not have a strong argument. Like, stop it. Like, the NBA is a talent league, not a point, not a guards league, not a forwards league, not a big man's league. It's a talent league. Uh, you yeah. can't you can't look at this stuff positionally. The funny thing is, we and now as 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 Rocket fans, I say, speaking for Rocket fans, we're all counting on Mobley right now because tonight they play the Nets, and you know we we need uh, <laughs> we need their Jared Allen's not coming back. I was hoping he would come back. He's not, 
and we need Mobley to step up big. And they, you know, just recently lost to the Nets and it just doesn't look good. So uh, we need Evan Mobley to have a big game. It should be a fun game. Um, where, where, where was I talking? Where, where, where was I before we brought that up? Um, oh, yeah. You're, you're my, my number one point. Uh, yeah. my, my number one point. Where does Houston end up in the draft and who they will ultimately take. So this is the fun one. This is this is the one that I, I have a feeling this is going to be on your list. I, I Again, I have not viewed your list, but I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that you had something about the draft on your list. Yep. Yeah. Number I, one is who, who are they going to draft? I, yeah, I, so I, I can't be, wait. Like I, Lottery night is going to be so fun. Like it was last yeah. year. Maybe a, a tad less fun because the Rockets don't are not in danger of losing that pick. Just the importance that the Rockets had in keeping that pick. And it was a coin toss. Um, a coin toss, like like Rockets fans, be very yeah. grateful that you won that coin toss. I know, and that you would have Trey Mann right now instead of Jalen Green, and, or something <laughs> along those lines. And to me, it's like you know, that was that was the stress all year when it was off. When it was you know, they lost twenty in a row, and it was evident they were terrible. I mean, I I, I just couldn't get super excited about the draft. I, I wasn't, you know, people were like, we're going to get Cade Cunningham and. I'm like, dude, I don't care if we get Cade Cunningham. Just please get in the top four. I don't care where. Just don't, you know, I mean, to give that get that that pick to the Thunder, a team that you're competing with in a rebuild, one year after making that Russell, you know, terrible trade, I just, man, it, it would have been a disaster. So, yes, we got lucky. And I got to tell you, if the Rockets end up fifth, which is basically a coin toss, the 48% of the, you know, outcomes are Rockets at number five, I don't consider it a disaster. I'd love to be one, two, or three. Uh, that would be best. But if they're fifth, hey, that's fine because they got to this position. That's what I wanted for this whole lottery race thing that I was keeping track of. And, uh, you know, if they're the worst team, we have the, the at worst the fifth pick. That's good enough. Um, I think you're going to be able to add a good player, even though it, the talk right now is it's a four-player draft at the, you know, at the top. I think at five, you're still going to get somebody really good. No, I, I'm, I'm a believer in Shade Sharp, Ben. I'm a believer. Like I, I don't, I don't know who you have at five, but that's my number five. Uh, by the way, uh, this we have we have a Red Nation hoops record. We we were like what an hour and ten, hour and fifteen minutes into recording, <laughs> and you just mentioned the Westbrook trade. Like this is new. This is this is oh, new. Right. We have broke new ground here yeah. uh, on the podcast. I didn't nah, I, I didn't know it would take you this long. I, you I'm know, they have, I will say this: they've they've done very well to salvage because when everyone bailed and you know just left the sinking ship, that was a pretty bad position they were in. And you know, for them to not have to do anything with the first flip, now they've got you know two two top four protected picks left that they owe. They hopefully will be competitive by then. And they've they've added picks with the hardened trade. I mean, they've done a very good job, in my opinion, of kind of recovering from that. Um, but yeah, there's no doubt that was that was a terrible trade, in my opinion. <laughs> you know, top ten, uh, you know, worst all time. It's up there. I, it's got to be up there. No, it's, it's I'm just surprised. Like, I it didn't it didn't hit me until until you said it. I'm like, oh my god, he he just mentioned it now. Like this is a, this, is, this has got to be like you must have been holding back on that man like this is I'm I'm, I'm getting over it but yeah. uh yeah it's um you know this is going to be a fun off season the trades no, but the draft sure. is is the biggest because we know they should be able to get at least at least one guy that we believe is going to be a starter for their future now whether he pans out or not we don't know but you know as you mentioned sharp 
AJ Griffin, Keegan Murray, Jalen Duran. There are guys that they could take in this draft that, you know, have enough upside that they could be, you know, if not very good role players, possibly teetering on the edge of a, being a, a star, maybe not a superstar, but a, an excellent player. Hey, so Shaden Sharp's pretty good, man. I mean, listen, like he, he hadn't played a minute of college basketball. I want to be, I want to caveat that. And obviously I know that, but hey, that guy, that guy was projected to be potentially a top two pick next season. And uh, yeah. the, now, now he's going to be in this draft. So I, I, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't dismiss the idea of that guy being a star. Dave, well, I wouldn't he was, dismiss yeah, it. He was, he was the number one high school recruit, and he was he reclassified. So, so he's. Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of upside there. We don't know much about him, but I actually believe. And again, I may be wrong because I'm seeing him mocked anywhere from five to to ten, or even yeah, it's five to ten. I'd say, and, and he hasn't declared yet. We should be clear there too. But if he's if he's in this draft, my my hunch is he he'll go top four and he's gonna bump one of those guys down. Believe he's it or not. He's gonna be the surprise. Okay, he's gonna be yes. the Scotty Barnes this year. Okay. That's my feeling because because especially because he's different than the other players, right? He's more in the Jalen Green mold. He's he doesn't have that ex- incredibly explosive quick quick twitch that, that Green has, but he's very athletic and he's and he's, he's a good shooter. He's, he is bigger for sure. He's longer. That you would think there's more defensive potential. I absolutely could see a team in the top four take him and bump somebody down. You know, I, I don't know who, but, but, you know, maybe Ivy or maybe Paolo, maybe Jabari, who knows, but that's why I, I felt for a long time, once, you know, it started to become apparent about sharp that getting the fifth pick guaranteed, it just it's going to give you peace of mind going from here to the lottery on May 17th. So, um, I just feel comfortable with where the Rockets are at. They're going to add a significant piece in this draft. I mean, you know, I like Jabari the best. He's my guy. Okay, I was going to ask you. I, I actually, I, I didn't know. I was going to ask you. Like that—that's what your gut's telling you. He's the best player in this yeah. draft. You know what? I, I, I real, yeah. It, it's it's funny, right? Because say best player, they really, uh, you know, him, Paolo, and Chet are really three significantly different bigs. They really are, and it's it's tough to say who's going to be the best but i just feel jabari is like his floor is excellent but what i think his floor would be is excellent and what i think his ceiling could be is man it's just super exciting i think he's got some you know he's got things he's got to improve on and namely his ability to just you know you you dump the ball into him and him create a shot because right now he's basically pivoting you know off of one foot one step dribble uh you know two step dribble kind of thing and, and fire, but, and he's able to shoot over a lot of guys. It'll be a little bit tougher in the NBA, but I, I mean, he's got the work ethic. You read up on, on him, his upbringing and, and, and what people talk about him. I think him and, and uh, Jalen green would, would basically be two peas in a pod. I mean, they would, they, they both have that kind of worker mentality. So I like him. I don't know enough. I think Chet is my personal opinion is the one who will probably go number one, but you know, now you're talking, you know, there's all these people claiming it's Paolo. I don't know if I've seen a draft where it's, at least it's been a long time where there's this much uh, difference of opinion about who the number one pick is. It's fun though, isn't it? Like, and, it and, like, and, and we thought we got, a, uh, we got away from the polari- polarizing draft last year, right? We thought we, maybe there's going to be more of a consensus on the top three this year, but it seems like it's, it's gotten even more polarizing. It's like, we're starting at number one. The debate starts at number one or last year, there wasn't a, a debate. It was Kate. 
right? Whoever gets number one yeah. is getting Cade. That that's done. That's that's write that in pen and that's it's over. It's now right. now it's like who get who's who who are you taking a number two? And those that's where the camps really started to you know to happen. And now it's like the camps start at number one. Now it's like are you a Jabari guy? Are you a Chet guy? Are you a Apollo guy? It, it, yeah. It's 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 gonna be. I mean, it's 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 gonna be brutal. It's gonna be fun. Gun to my head, Chet. Like that. That's my yeah. guy. I love Chet. Like like I just I, I I love watching him move on the floor. I love watching him uh, defend. I love how like he's undersized. Obviously, I mean he, but he's tough, man. You would you would you wouldn't know that he's undersized. You always feel him on the court. Like he makes impact always felt. Um, I love Jabari as well. Like Jabari just hit tough shot after tough shot after tough shot watching his film like they i'm still going through it obviously got a lot got a lot to go through but jabari is uh just a just tough shot maker like he's gonna be a 40 percent three-point shooter in the nba i feel comfortable saying that like the, yeah. I, I never feel comfortable saying that and, and having that kind of and being that kind of a shooter at that size and then also you watch his defensive ability. I mean, he's got he's got some flaws there. He's got some things he's got to clean up a little bit. But his energy, his hustle, his effort, his fire that he plays with, I mean, I, I love it. I think he's got leadership qualities. I, the best thing I could say about Chet is if the Rockets took Chet over Jabari, I wouldn't even be upset. I mean, I may be, okay, well, miss on Jabari, but I feel really good about Chet too. And I know that's probably the most polarizing prospect in the draft. No, it's not. I I, I, I think there might be more debate on Paulo actually. Like Paulo's got the, there, there are people that have Paulo number one. And I don't think yes, it's, a, I don't think what? it's I don't think there's, I don't sorry, think, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was going to say, I don't think there's anybody though who says Paulo's going to be a bust. I no, mean, that, there's that, a lot of people. You know, I don't think Go that ahead. people are saying that he's going to be a bust, but I think there are people who legitimately doubt his star potential. And like there are there are people that like you know are scrutinizing his game and like like if if he was taken number one there'd be a lot of like mean words exchanged online I really do like it's not even like I I don't think he's an unworthy number one I don't think I, either of these three guys are an unworthy number one as I just said like I think this is gonna there's no consensus at number one but yeah. I think I either the the only guy where I feel like there's gonna there's not gonna be any sort of like no one's gonna be upset is if Jabari goes number one. Like that's the that that's the the middle ground, right? Like right, there there are Chet guys and there are Apollo guys and there are Jabari guys, but it seems like everybody seems to be a Jabari guy. Like nobody's upset with J- the prospect of Jabari going number one. That seems to be the common denominator I find in talking to people about the draft. Everybody likes Jabari, and everybody and nobody's opposed to the idea of him going number one. But there is a lot of division when you talk to people who are Apollo guys and you talk to guys who are, who are Cade guys or anti-Cade guys or anti-Apollo guys. That's where it's interesting. Like, and, and, yeah. and Jabari's like this middle ground area where like, we're not going to fight here. This, this is the area where we're not going to fight. We're all going to be friends here. We can all agree this guy's going to be awesome. Like, <laughs> I, find, I find that interesting. Well, it's, you know, I, I tell you this, if the Rockets get the second or third pick, I'm going to be pushing propaganda that Paolo's number one for sure. I mean, I definitely, I, I'm of the opinion where I think he's going to be a very good player. I think he's the best bet for rookie of the year. I really think he's going to come in and, and, you know, uh, he's going to score, he's going to rebound. Um, you know, he's, he's going to be able to, uh, to facilitate, I think along the, the Julius Randall mold. Um, again, Here maybe not quite as, well, yeah, I'm not going down that route too much, but I'm saying in the in the sense that he's sort of you can hand him the ball and he can both score from different levels and create. Um, sure, but I hear what you're saying. Me, yeah. uh, for me, it's like, you know, 
you add that team, you know, let's just say you're, you're, you're running with Paolo, Shangun, KPJ, Jalen. I mean, come on. At some point, defense has to be a priority. At some point, you know, the three-point shooting should be, you know, placed at, at a high priority. And to me, that's just four guys who need the ball. I mean, that's just, you know, you've got some passers in there for sure, but those are four guys who, to maximize their, their talent, they kind of need to be creators. And to me, that's just too much. Um, But I I could absolutely see the Rockets having him number one. I mean, I I don't know that, but I'm just saying I can see it because they shoot for the moon and, and, you know, offensive upside, you know, they, they, I'm sure see it in him. So We'll see. I mean, if the Rockets get a top three pick, they're going to get a great player regardless, great prospect regardless. But um, for me, I, it's, you know, 1A and 1B with Jabari and Chet. The, to me, that's, there's kind of a, a drop after that. What was that? You, you, said, you, you said there's a drop after Jabari and Chet, you think? Yeah, or, okay. I, you know, I don't want to make it sound like a huge drop, but I feel like all three of those are not created equal. You know, I, okay. I feel like most of the, my top 13, I think, are 14 guys the vast majority of them are two-way players, uh, you know, guys who are going to impact your defense. And I, and I think I just, I, I don't know, I gravitate more towards those guys because especially when you have a star like Jalen um, or you think you have a star like Jalen, I mean, you you need some guys who are going to do some of the dirty work and two-way players should be, you know, in my opinion, placed at a high premium. So um, that, that's just sort of my mindset on the draft. And maybe it does skew my opinion a little bit towards Jabari because I think he could be um, a guy who's going to give you everything on both ends of the floor. Um, but yeah, for me, Paolo is, is he's got potential in some of those areas, but he, he's not a special three-point shooter, not a special defender. Um, he's a gifted offensive player, the best of the three, as far as I'm going to hand him the ball and he's going to get you a bucket. Um, for sure. I mean, he's, 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 you know, the most polished offensive player, uh, offensive big in this draft. So um, that's not in debate, but for me, I think the best prospect and the best fit is Jabari. That's just my two cents on it. You see uh, where I stand is I think it's a three man race for number one. And I'd be like, okay, if, if any of these three guys are selected number one, I, I don't fault anybody like legit. Like I, that's kind of, I thought, okay, I'm as I watch more and more as, as we get closer to the draft, as we get closer to the lottery, I'm going to form a hard consensus, right? Like I'm going to form a hard opinion on one of, on which one of these guys doesn't belong. I don't find myself doing that. I thought I was going to be at that point. I don't, I think I'm like, okay, I, I, I would, I think all three of these guys are defensible at number one. I think uh, all three of these guys are defensible at, at two and three. Like it, it's going to be, one of those drafts where it's like I'm gonna do the, the the Troy Weaver where I actually don't know who I'm gonna draft at number one, and I'm gonna have everybody in my in my um, in my gym, and I want to see them up and up close. And I'm, I'm gonna watch however hour many hours of film you could watch in all three of these guys before I select. I'm gonna do a thorough process, even if I, my gut is telling me that I should lean one way. I'm doing my homework on this draft. If I have the first pick in this draft, I'm not forming a hard consensus. I'm having ev- all. I want to hear from everybody in my in my room, all my draft room, all my scouts, all my decision makers. I want to hear from everybody, uh, from the janitor to my lead scout. <laughs> I want to hear from all these dudes on their opinions on these guys before I select a number one because I don't think there's a consensus. And we said we said all this, and we haven't even mentioned Jay Nivey. 
who I think has <laughs> legitimate star potential at number f- where I personally have him right now at number four. That guy is really, really intriguing. He is. And Jalen Green mentioned he's been watching a lot of them. You know, and I, I, I actually, I got to be honest, I'm worried the Rockets would not take him simply because they, you know, are in love with KPJ and, and Jalen Green and don't want to disrupt that. Uh, and they have Josh Christopher as well, I should add, as far as, you know, three young guards that they're grooming. But, I mean, you've got to go BPA. You have to if you're, you know, missing out on, on those bigs. And, um, you know, I have him number three. I have Paolo four. And, frankly, I, I could be convinced that Shaden Sharp and A.J. Griffin are ahead of Paolo for me. I know I, I get flack for that. But my, my point is, yeah, I would not hesitate at all to take Jaden Ivey. I mean, he's he's – I think he's going to be – I don't think he's a point guard. I really don't. I mean, I think his final game, I think he had two assists, six turnovers. They don't run him as a point guard, but I think you're going to have the same type of point guard issues that you do with KPJ. But it's it's a definite, it's a different level of speed that Jaden Ivey plays with than KPJ. And KPJ's got good speed. He's he's athletic. But Jaden Ivey has explosive, quick twitch ability. I mean, Jaden and Jalen would be pretty incredible if you ask me. There's a lot of players in this draft that fit what they need: defense and shooting. Like there's a like that's that's what's unique about this draft. There's a ton of players that fit what they actually need, and they kind of lucked out in that in that respect. And there are some players that may fall out of the lottery into their lap at you know 15, 16, wherever this Brooklyn net pick ends up being. And if they, if that happens, like you're talking about potentially getting to the point where you have I mean I think last year you had you drafted at least two lottery talents and I would say Shangun and Green and this year if, if one of those guys falls out of the lottery to you you're talking about going into next season collecting four lottery talents in two years which is ridiculous yeah and you know I, if everything goes to chalk or you know as expected it will be a tiebreaker between 16 and 17 pick 16 and 17 if both Brooklyn and Cleveland make the playoffs out of the play-in and Minnesota does in the West, then that's where it'll be tiebreaker between 16 and 17. And I'm, I'm at about 13 or 14 prospects that I really like. And that's not even including some guys who are, have kind of come, I don't want to say out of the woodwork, but kind of are their home run swings that could go in the top 12, top 14 easily. Jaden Hardy is a guy who by the time the draft comes could come soaring up. Um, Osman Diang is a guy in France who is really fascinating. He's progressed quite a bit with the New Zealand breakers and he's six foot nine with a lot of playmaking. I don't want to say playmaking ability, but a lot of, uh, yeah, I mean, playmaking, he's not, a, he's not a natural point guard, but he's really intriguing. Uh, Nikola Jovic is, is somewhat interesting as well. Um, and Patrick Baldwin Jr. I guess that what I'm saying is there's some home run swings and that, the, my list on the top 13 or 14 doesn't even include like Mark Williams or, um, you know, a few other guys that, that are, you know, uh, Malachi Branham that are somewhat interesting there. But I feel like the Rockets, if they do pick 16 or 17, are kind of right on the edge of like another drop off. It is. That's where the bottom falls out in the draft. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't say the bottom falls out. I mean, like I said, if you got a Mark Williams or something like that, that's a good prospect. But I mean, if you're able to get up maybe five spots, uh, four to five spots, 
I mean, you could be looking honestly at somebody like even Jalen Duran falling. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to, but it, you know, that, that's the kind of thing that that is possible. AJ Griffin could fall. I've seen him slip up, slip down to eight with Keegan Murray and Shaden Sharp. Um, and you know, I've seen Johnny Davis and Benedict Matherin ahead of him. Um, so, so I feel like if they can just get up a little bit, there's going to be some guys. Tari Eason's really intriguing. Um, I, I, I mentioned Dyson Daniels. I love Dyson Daniels. I, I, I'm just really fascinated by him as a prospect for a potential uh, guy who could fit alongside Jalen Green. So in my opinion, if the Rockets come away with that top five pick, which they should, and are able to get up just a little bit higher and get another one of those guys, I mean, that would be another home run draft. And I, I think, you know, Rafael Stone has talked about not adding more you know, rookies and prospects because, you know, the roster is getting a little bit full and they've got other things to do. But I like the idea of acquiring a late first or an early second and see if a guy like Walker Kessler falls. I mean, to be able to add a backup center would be, you know, or a guy who could be your future starting center even um, is really intriguing to me. There are a handful of those type of prospects in this draft. So I think the Rockets have a real opportunity here to reshape their, you know, continue to add to their future. Um, with an with another you know solid double or triple here in this draft. Yeah, I'm not as high, and I would say the the prospects and what I would classify as the 15 to 30 range of this draft. I think I think there is a, a significant drop off there, which is why I think there's a lot of incentive for Houston to move up. But if if someone falls out of that top 10, I do like a lot of these players in this top 10, like Benedict, Benedict Mather and like I I like his game. Um, yeah, I, I Walker Kessler I, is somebody I have in that kind of 12, 13 ish range. Uh, if he falls to Houston at 16, 17, I think that's a really solid pickup. Do you like him more than Mark Williams from Duke? I haven't watched too much of Mark Williams. Okay. So I'm going to be honest. I, no, I'm good, still no, I'm good. still early in my in my draft in my draft watching uh, phase. But I'll get there. I'll get there at some point. I'll be able to no, talk no, about. You're all good. These guys. I was just curious. Yeah, he's he's. Um, they're both they're both intriguing, but they're different. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, Here, here's here's what I'll say. Uh, I at this at this point last year. I would not have known who you're talking about, but now I do because I because I because I was I only did one month of draft research last year, and this this month I'm way ahead of the game. Like I, I feel way better this year than I do last. I, I don't have to do a lot of cramming, right? Because a lot of this yeah. was was because I, I was waiting for the Rockets to actually keep their pick or not. So I before I actually did the research because I didn't want to waste time. I didn't want them. I didn't want to do all this research, and then they end up losing their pick. I'm like, oh crap! I I did all all this for nothing, right? So I was like, okay, I'll wait for the I'll wait for the lottery to happen, see if they keep their pick, and then I'll do the research. So this year, I know they're going to keep their pick, and I know where they're going to be drafting. So I feel like I I I have I had permission to start watching early. So I did, I started watching early, but I'm not quite there yet. I I love some of the names you mentioned as like you know swing for the fences guy, uh, particularly Jalen Hardy. I brought him up on a, on a podcast a couple weeks ago with Rafael Barlow of NBA Big Board. Yeah, I listened to it. It was a great podcast. Oh, thank you. Uh, but yeah, I like the idea of Houston being like, listen, there's nobody here. Everybody we wanted is gone, and this is a guy that was projected to be a top five pick. And we we are in this draft solely for acquiring star talent, right? Or trying to acquire star talent. And we're, we don't feel like we need to waste this pick on like a seventh man, seventh or eighth man. We want to go big or go home. Uh, we're going to see if we can get someone in Jalen Hardy that could potentially be more. So I like the idea of, of taking those kinds of swings. 
in the middle of the draft. Uh, that that intrigues me. I, I I'm not sure if I would do it again. I that that's one where I'm like I'm not sure if I would ultimately pull the trigger, but I would explore it. And I just feel like he's a guy who's going to go before the Brooklyn pick just because of the potential. Somebody's going to fall in love with him. Yeah, exactly. Somebody's going to say, you know what, this has this is a better swing than you know. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking of an example Walker like a Kessler, guy who Walker Kessler. Like, like the, the, yeah, that, that, Walker that, Kessler. He's not sure. a swing. He, he's someone because, we we have we feel like has a definitive floor, right? Right. Like where Jaden Hardy, it could be like you know a starting two guard that is ex- extremely explosive, and you know he's he's definitely a three level scorer. I mean, he's got he's got other knocks on him, but um, you know a team could definitely fall in love with him. Uh, I can see that for sure, and. Um, I think we're going to, you know, I mean, there's guys, in my opinion, Johnny Davis, I, I want to see go ahead of the Rockets and he should, um, you know, ahead of the Rockets in the Brooklyn pick. And so I think there's going to be somebody good available at 16 or 17, if that's where they are. But I just think this is a good opportunity, if possible, to use a, a, a Christian Wood or Eric Gordon or even a Jay Sean Tate to package that Brooklyn pick and move up if, if any of those, op, those opportunities are possible. And I think I've, I've got, I think I got four teams on my list, in my opinion, that could be good candidates. Let's hear them. I want to hear them. Uh, yeah, I think there's uh let's see. Portland has six and 11. Okay. Um, Sacramento has seven. Um, I'm blanking out on who's eight, but it's eight. And then blanking out on it right now. Um, and then Charlotte's 14, but, uh, I'm missing a team right now off the top of my head in the lottery and I don't have it in front of me, but um I'll look it up. I believe yeah, I believe it's the eighth pick. Um okay, you're, too, you're talking about oh, the Pelicans. Yeah, it's the Lakers pick from the Pelican, the Pelicans right. have. Yeah. New Orleans in general. So those are the four teams. Forgive me, I, I those are the four teams that uh I think because you're looking to target a team that is in the lottery for whatever reason and they need to make the playoffs next year. Portland is just ideal. Um, Sacramento, I think, I mean, they're starting to get more bad press about the fact that over 30 some odd years, their only playoff years were under coach Rick Adelman. Um, you know, and it's, it's insane. And, and, you know, the owner is, you know, getting criticism for running a basketball hell, quote unquote, they have got to make the playoffs this year. And in my opinion, you know, if you can leverage that, that pick is the one to do it. So, and, and a lot of this is going to depend on who gets the top four picks. There's always going to be some surprise in there. Maybe the Lakers pick ends up in the top four and the Pelicans, you know, score big time. That's the kind of thing that, uh, you know, shifts all of these trade scenarios. There is a prior relationship there with Martin McNair, you know, with Rafael Stone. Uh, so absolutely, you, maybe that helps grease the wheels. Uh, but real quick before we head out, I did have one more honorable mention. What happens with John Wall? Uh, I do. We don't have to go too deeply into this because I know we're deep into this podcast. But that's interesting, you know. Like I think John Wall is probably someone I had pegged all year for a buyout, and I think that it's. I still think it's headed that way. I thought it was kind of strange that they ruled it out at the beginning of the year, uh, you know, a buyout, and now they're willing to entertain it because I think they've kind of realized there is no market. <laughs> there is no market for this dude, other than perhaps a desperate Lakers team. I'm really interested to see if they can maybe leverage that into something they they they're optimistic that they can get something done i'm not as optimistic but we'll see we'll see what they can that's a giant contract and if they move that contract that trade is going to be significant it's going to be significant uh, rafael stone said on monday he you know that he thought the market was still there and that he you know he's optimistic as you said about a trade 
they thought they were going to end up making a trade this past deadline and it didn't it didn't end up materializing for a couple of reasons but you know we'll see i think the lakers make some sense if that deal is sweetened you know i don't think that they could just do a westbrook for wall trade with a draft asset after not doing it in the de- at the deadline there has to be some sort of different deal but um yeah, I mean that we'll see. I mean, because if if Wall is not willing to take a buyout, then it doesn't make any sense for the Rockets to to cut him and pay the right remainder of his salary. They're better off just going to the deadline again. I mean, it's not like that roster spot is that important. They can create roster spots in other ways. So, you know, people are saying, well, why would anybody trade for John Wall when the Rockets are gonna waive him? Yeah, but they they just went the whole year without doing it. I thought for sure the deadline, if they didn't trade him, they were gonna you know, buy him out so he could latch on with a playoff team. It didn't happen. So if they're not getting the buyout offer that they want, they might as well take it to the deadline, to the uh, trade deadline next year. Yeah. Listen, uh, I think, I think all these questions that we post today are fair. I think they're really interesting to see how the Rockets tackle them, particularly the draft. That's the fun one, right? How they, how they attack, how they attack the draft after they get their, their pick. That's, that's, I think that was the most interesting conversation we talked about today. Also, the Jalen Green discussion, very relevant, obviously, considering how he ended the season. It's, uh, listen, we got, we, we talked for a long time, but I think, like, you know, usually when we get to the hour and a half mark, I get really scared about, you know, how much of this stuff is actually good. But I think most of this is going to stay inside. I think it is. I think people are really going to enjoy yeah. our conversation. I think we, we hit some some really relevant topics. I'm interested in, in delving into more this summer because obviously we talked about it really macro. But once we get to these dates, you know, the lottery, the draft, free agency, a possible buyout with John Wall. Once we get to these relevant dates, there's going to be more to discuss. And we just talked really macro. So it's going to be really fun to see how they approach this summer. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you, man. It's going to be, it's going to be exciting. And I think the future's bright. It was a lot of losses this year, but the future's bright. And uh, this off season is going to tell us a lot. For sure. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Dave. And thanks for dealing with my tardiness, man. Like, I, I, I oh. can't get over that. Like, I know I, 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 I have to. Nothing, you have to. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's worth it. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I'll talk to you down the road, man. Sounds good, Salman. Take care, bud.